So we will be in James chapter 1 this morning, finishing up the first chapter of James. If you've been with us for the past two weeks, um, you know Pastor Rick has, um, was preaching on, he did an overview of the book of James, and then he, he camped out in the first part of James 1. Um, in James 1, what we, what we realized very quickly is it is a hard book <laughs> to work through. It's very, very practical. It's basically, over the past year, we've we studied the book of Romans, which is the gospel according to Paul. And what James does is he essentially takes the gospel like from the book of Romans, and he extrapolates it and says, this is how you should live in light of the gospel. This is how you should live. And so in this passage today, James is going to show us what it means to live according to the gospel, to live as a follower, a genuine follower of Christ, what the life of a Christ follower should look like. And I got to be honest, as I was reading this passage, this for the past several weeks, I began reading it. And, and over that time, I had just felt like I needed to repent. Like there were so many things in my life that just were not lining up with what James is saying. And I feel like that's going to be pretty accurate for the rest of the book of James. That James is just going to call things out in this book. And so I, I pray that, that that will kind of lay some of our guard down for, for what James has for us today. That we will all come in here with, with humility, um, knowing that, that James is saying these things out of love. That James is, does not shy away from speaking the truth in love to his audience at the time and to us this morning. Um, the one thing that I want us to walk away with this morning, if you're going to walk away with anything, I want you to walk away with knowing and believing and loving the power of the word of God. And that's what James is really going to hone in on this morning. The word of God in these 10 verses from verse 18 to verse 27, in these 10 verses, James is going to mention the word of God five times. He's going to say that God gives us new birth by the word. He sanctifies us in the word. He calls us to humbly receive the word. James says that if we don't listen to the word, we will deceive ourselves. And that God blesses us when we look into the perfect law or the word. So let's dive in here and let's see what James has to say about the importance of the word of God in our lives this morning. And, and on. So James chapter 1 verses 18, starting in verse 18. Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is God's word. So in this, in this passage, specifically in verse 18, this is one of two places in the entire book of James where James mentions the gospel of grace, where James mentions the gospel, which is kind of hard to believe after just getting out of Romans. Paul hammered out the gospel in almost every verse in the book of Romans. James mentions it twice in his book, in this passage and then in chapter four. But the reality of this, of this passage is that, and what I want us to, to really consider today is that James is saying in, the, in verse 18 that salvation, new birth, and living a godly life is God's work in you. It's God's work in you. God, in verse 18, that by God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In the NIV, it says God chose to bring you forth by the word of truth. 
meaning that we are born again by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And as His redeemed people, we are the first fruits of His creation. That through our rebirth, through living a new life in Christ, we are to bear much fruit for God and his, for his glory. So we see that in verse 18. And then in verse 21, at the end of that, that section, it talks about receiving the implanted word of God, right? But then in verse 20 through, or 19 and 20, it, Paul, or, uh, James kind of does this tangent. And James begins to warn his, his audience. He begins to warn his people regarding the conditions of our heart. The conditions of our heart, even after, after God has brought us forth in the word. So let's dive into that a little bit closer and see what, see what James is talking about here with being slow to anger and slow to speak. Because remember, God chose to bring us forth by the word of truth. But what James, the question that James has for us in this passage is, are our hearts ready to receive the implanted word of God? Our hearts are, are our hearts humbly ready to receive the implanted word of God? Are you quick to hear? Are you slow to speak? Are you slow to anger? Because these are a few descriptions of what a humble heart, a, a heart that is submitted to Christ and his word. That, these are some descriptions that, that look like a humble heart that, that's submitted to God's, God's word. Even in verse 26, which is way further down in our passage, James says that if you think you are religious, if you think that you love God and are living a godly life, but you do not have control over your own tongue, that you are deceived and your religion is worthless. What James is saying is that if you attend church on Sunday mornings, if you give to the church, if you take communion, yet your life, yet lying and gossip and slander and cursing are an active part of your life, then we need to humble ourselves and receive the implanted word of God the question that James is asking this morning is, is the ground of your heart ready to receive the word? Or is it just full of rocks that need to be tilled out and taken out of the soil so that the implanted word can come in and take root in your heart? James is warning us about these things because he knows that our hearts are filled with so much stuff. Our hearts are filled. They're so stuffed with the cares of this world. Cares about politics and sports and money and family and the riches of this world. How on earth, if our hearts are so filled with all these cares that bring us stress, cause us to be quick to anger and quick to speak and quick to be heard, where is there any room for the implanted word of God to come and, and, and make its dwelling in us? James is saying, be careful. Be careful because there's no place for God and his word in our hearts. It's like, imagine coming to a Thanksgiving feast that is prepared for you. And it is amazing. Like the feast looks delicious, but all day long you have been munching on candy. You eat an entire loaf of white bread and just chugged at half a gallon of eggnog. Like you get to Thanksgiving and you are going to be sick and you're not going to want anything on that table. And James just so happens to tell us in verse 21, he tells us to get rid of all the moral filth that is so prevalent. He wants it all to be extracted out of you, which is what's going to happen if you come to Thanksgiving feast with all that in your body. It's going to come out of you, right? 
That's what James is asking here. I know that's a gross illustration, but I think that, that this is the, the grossness of sin that James is talking about, that he wants to get the grossness of our moral filth out of us that's so prevalent among us. The, the beginning of verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, all that anger and quickness to speak and pride and gossip and slander. It's so prevalent, not, not just among James's day, but among our day, among the church today, like we're always battling one another with what we think about this or that. We're having Twitter wars online or just arguing about the smallest things. James is saying, get rid of that. Humble yourself and prepare the ground to receive the implanted word of God. Continuing on in verse 21, the middle of verse 21, James says, receive with meekness or with humility Receive with humility the implanted word of God. This word, in, the meaning for the implanted word, where that comes from is Jeremiah 31, where God has made this covenantal promise with his people. Through Jeremiah, the Lord says to his people in Jeremiah 31, he says, but this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What God is saying is that he will put his law. He will put his word on our hearts. He will write it on our hearts. He will implant it on our hearts and he will be our God and we will be his people. And we can just read over that, that passage and say, great. I want to be a person of God. I want God to be my God. But the reality is that Jeremiah faced and the rest of the prophets faced is that to be a person of God, it is painful. They continue to cry out to God saying, God, why are these people so hard hearted? Why are they so stubborn? Why don't they just humble themselves and receive your word? And that's what James is getting at today. That to be a people of God, it is a painful process. There's a lot to get rid of in our hearts for the implanted word to come and so so roots deep down into our heart. Does anybody in here know of the name Enos A. Mills? Anybody heard that name? Enos A. Mills? If you're a Colorado native, I'm a little disappointed. (laughs) Um, Enos A. Mills is the father of Rocky Mountain National Park. He is a naturalist and an author, lived in the early 1900s. And for you people who, who are committed to hiking 14ers and have a bucket list of wanting to hike all of them in the state, um, Enos summited Long's Peak nearly 300 times in his lifetime. He's, he's kind of a psychopath. But, um, <laughs> and he, he wrote this book called Wildlife on the Rockies. And he's got some just a, amazing illustrations of, of nature here in Colorado. And I feel like one specifically that stuck out to me was just had this great analogy to what James is talking about here with the, the implanted word. Listen to this. This is specifically talking about lodgepole pine trees, which are all over the mountains of Colorado. So he says this, and it'll be up on the screen here. Most of these seeds from the lodgepole pine in pine cones will never have a chance to make a start in life, except if they are liberated by fire. In fact, most lodgepole seeds are liberated by fire. The production, the reproduction of this pine is so interwoven with the effect of forest fires that one may safely say that most of the lodgepole forests and increasing lodgepole areas are a result of forest fires. See, we must humbly 
allow the spirit of God to come into our lives and carve out all of that moral filth that's in our hearts in order to receive the implanted word. Because what will happen when there's space in our hearts to receive the word is that there will be a harvest in our lives. There'll be a harvest 30, 60, hundredfold. It will be like a forest that is being burned to only produce a harvest that is mountains covered in pine trees like we see out, out here. So may that happen in our hearts this morning and in our lives. We must humbly receive the word of God. But we can't just receive portions of the word of God. We must receive the full counsel of God's word. James is not asking us just to to pick up what we like to hear, but we've got to pick up the whole word of God. If we didn't, then we probably wouldn't be studying James right now. Because this is a hard word to hear. So, Verse, the end of verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. This is so key church, because these are matters of life and death. These are matters of heaven and hell. This implanted word is able to save your soul. I feel like John Piper has a, has a great illustration that describes this idea of, of just the importance of, of the implanted word of God in our lives. He, he compares the implanted word to oxygen. I believe this will be up on the screen here too. He says, oxygen gives you life. The sign of life is that you breathe. And when you breathe, you get more oxygen. It is in you. If it were not in you, you would be dead. Oxygen is planted in you, but you still need to receive it by breathing. And the receiving of it is governed by it being in you. See, we don't just take one big breath when we are a baby and hope that it lasts for 85, 90 years, right? Like we have to keep breathing every single day. So if we believe that that the implanted word is in our hearts... But we can say, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't need to, to get in the word. I, I don't need that as a part of my life. Like James is warning us that the word of God may not be in you. The implanted word may not be in you. It's like saying we have oxygen, but believing we don't have to breathe. Like let the implanted word of God be the delight of our hearts. Let us see the importance of this, that this is our lifeblood as followers of Christ. Like Psalm 1 that says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaves do not wither. Like let us be a church that embodies Psalm chapter 1. That our roofs are deeply implanted in the word of God. This person in Psalm chapter 1, they recognize that they need the word day and night. They need it every single day in order that they will bear much fruit. But James takes it one step further in this next section. He doesn't just say, don't just hear the word. Don't just meditate on the word. James says, do the word. Let it penetrate your heart, mind, body, and soul. Every part of your being, let the word come in and have its dwelling for his glory and for the joy of all peoples. So we must humbly receive the word and we must continually remember the word. Starting in verse 22 through 25. 
but be a doer of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we see a hearer of the word and we see a doer of the word. We'll we'll talk about the, the hearer first. So the hearer does two things. The hearer deceives himself. And the way that a hearer deceives himself is that he believes that the hearer believes that, that he can read the Bible, know the Bible, that he can even quote Bible verses, attend all the Bible studies, but he has done nothing with it. The word has not implanted in his heart. Jesus addresses this exact thing in John chapter eight, actually throughout Jesus' whole life where Jesus is approaching these, these religious leaders of the time who are faithful. They're the most faithful church-going people on the planet. They're memorizing verse after verse. They've memorized books of the Bible. And Jesus comes up to them in John chapter 8, verse 37, and says, My word finds no place in you. Jesus says, My word finds no place in you, even though they knew the word. But what they didn't realize is that they have to humble themselves in order to receive the word. So that's why they couldn't, that's why Jesus' word had no place in them. This should be a warning for us, church. Like we cannot continue to live our lives thinking that that we are honoring God by, by studying the Bible here and there without doing anything about it. We are deceiving ourselves. When you receive the word humbly by the spirit, you will always be moved into action. When you realize that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, that the spirit comes and makes his dwelling in you and will make that word activate inside of you. If the word of God is implanted in your heart, it will change everything about your life. You can tell when, when someone has the implanted word in them, because what happens on the outside of them will be very different when they respond to trials and circumstances in their life, whether joys or sorrow. So a hearer deceives himself, but a hearer also forgets the word. It's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. This word intently, it means to gaze upon, to fix all of your attention and affections upon this one thing, to look at and study and meditate upon. But James is saying that this hearer will look into a mirror, look at himself and forget what he looks like when he walks away. This word intently, what came to mind is like my five-year-old, my five-year-old son who captures a bug in a, in a plastic Tupperware and just stares at it for five minutes and has it up to his nose and just seeing all the lines and the shell on this bug. And it's just like, wow, this is amazing. Like how many legs does it have? All this stuff. And then mom calls for snack and he throws it on the ground and runs into the kitchen and totally forgetting about his now dead bug. And this is what James is talking about. It's like a man who looks into himself in a mirror and forgets what he looks like when he walks away. This past fall, 
my wife and I went camping. We, we went camping in a camper van and um, went out to Buena Vista. And it was like one of, the night, one of the few nights that we got away, just the two of us. It was great for until about six o'clock the next morning when I was making tea in, inside the camper van and we had a propane leak, which turned into a propane gas fire inside of the van. So from floor to ceiling was engulfed in flames. And praise God, we are, we are okay. We are here. Um, but it was definitely like the most traumatic experience of my life. My wife's probably going to have PTSD in the second service. Um, but <laughs> once, uh, once we got back home, I even remember to this day, I vividly remember to this day looking into the mirror when I got back home and I quickly realized, man, I'm going to need a buzz cut and, <laughs> and probably some new eyebrows. <clears throat> But it would have been ridiculous for me to look into the mirror and walk away and forget that half of my head of hair was burned off. Like how ridiculous would it have been for me to walk out in public looking like that? Like that's the insanity that James is talking about. That we can sit here Sunday after Sunday, even day after day after day and hear the word of God and don't act upon it. We don't do anything with it. In Deuteronomy 6, right after the Lord instructs his people to love the Lord and make his ways known, he warns his people. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. I think it'll be up on the screen here. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is so easy, church. It's so easy to forget what God has done. It's so easy to forget this word. It is so easy for us to to realize that we can be a self-made people. What Rick talked about two weeks ago with the self-made man, where we can look at our lives and say, man, my kid's crushing it in school. I'm killing it at my job. Things are going so well for us. Look at all that we have done and we forget what the Lord has done. We forget all that the Lord has done in our lives. And that is someone who hears the word and doesn't realize, isn't giving glory to God. And so I beg you, church, like, let's not forget the word. Let's not forget what the Lord has done. Let's not forget the gospel. If we go here, if we come here Sunday after Sunday and hear the word of God, and then Monday morning we have forgotten totally about it, we are deceiving ourselves. And if I'm honest, when I think about that reality of forgetting and being hearers of the word, I believe that Satan is pleased when we pack out this church, when we hear the word of God week after week and we go home and do nothing about it. But there's there's another way that James talks about. There's a better way in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, the one who looks and gazes upon, who looks intently at the law of liberty, 
and perseveres by doing what it says, he will be blessed in his doing. When you and I, when we look into the law of liberty, there's going to be some things that we see. See, the law of liberty is the gospel. It is the the good news of what Christ has done for us on our behalf because we couldn't do it. So when we look into the law of liberty, what you're going to see is you're going to see the grossness of your sin. You're going to see how we have, how we have rebelled against a holy God. You're going to gaze into the eyes of the King of Kings who is shredded apart into pieces, who is hanging on a cross covered in blood and hung there to die for you. And then if you've persevered that long, You will marvel at the power of his resurrection as he rose from the grave and gave us victory over sin and death. But the question is, will you persevere? Will you persevere through that? When you look, when you gaze upon the law of liberty, will you persevere or will you walk away? Will you walk away and forget thinking that, ah, I'm not that bad. I really didn't need Jesus to do that for me because I, I live a good enough life here. See, when a doer gazes into the law of liberty, when he looks intently and meditates upon the gospel, he runs to it and walks in it day by day by day, not forgetting it. And that person will never be the same again. The implanted word of God will change you. It will give you new desires. It will give you a new heart and you will be blessed when you go and you do the word. See, a doer of the word is doing only because they know what Jesus has already done on their behalf. That Jesus has done everything on their behalf. So they are doing as an overflow of their love for Christ. They're not doing to earn God's favor. They aren't doing to try to satisfy God's wrath because Christ has already done that. They're doing because they know what Christ has already done. So we humbly receive the word, we continually remember the word, and we completely obey the word. Verse 27, James 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one's self unstained from the world. We want to know what true religion, what it truly means to follow after God in his ways, what, what a life looks like to have the, the word implanted in your heart. It looks like verse 27. If you want to know what the creator of the universe, our father in heaven cares about, what he's commanding his bride, the church to care about, it's to care for orphans and widows in their distress It's saying all oppressed people that you know or that you see in your life care for them. Jesus is saying, because these are the things that that Jesus cares about. These are the things that God the Father cares about. And he's mobilizing his church to care about them as well. If we say that we are a pro-life people, if we we say that we're pro-life, are we saying that because it is it best fits into our political view or it best fits into our lifestyle or our community and we don't want to be ostracized so we, so we say that we're pro-life or do we really truly believe 
that we cannot imagine another day that a baby is murdered. And if we do care about this issue so much, are we willing to open up our doors wide and receive widows and orphans into our own homes, into our own lives? That is what doing the word looks like. That there's nearly 5,000 children in our city who were not aborted, but are now in the foster care system waiting, awaiting homes right now. True religion says that to be pro-life is to open our doors to orphans and widows. True religion is controlling your own spending to care for the oppressed. True religion is getting to know and pray for our immigrant neighbors. True religion is intentionally engaging with and showing honor to people who are different from us. I know for the longest time, whenever I pulled up to a red light and there was a homeless person there, I had the hardest time engaging with them with my eyes and just making eye contact. Like it, it makes you feel so uncomfortable. Why? True religion says, make eye contact with them, get to know them, ask them how they're doing, ask them to pray for them, like engage with them, show them honor and dignity as people because true religion is doing something, do something. Don't just hear the word. I know for a while there in my life, I, I would often think that the most important thing is that I'm willing to obey the word. I have a willing heart and willing to obey the word. I'm willing to help the poor. No, Jesus says, help the poor. But I'm willing to share the gospel. No, Jesus says, share the gospel. I'm willing to live a pure and godly life. No, Jesus tells us to abstain from sexual immorality. Jesus is telling us to do what it says. Don't just be willing to. Let's be a people of our word because God has put his word in our hearts and he's put his spirit in our hearts to activate that word for us to do something. So what true religion does is true religion cares for the oppressed. And true religion also remains unstained from the world. And this idea of being unstained, remaining unstained from the world, we're going to look more into that in chapter two. Chapter two is going to go into this idea of partiality and being biased or showing favoritism towards certain people over others. But regarding this passage today, one commentator says that to be stained by the world is to be squeezed into its molding. That we, we would look just like the world. We would be molded into the world's ways. See, the world wants to bombard all of us with these cool hip vibes of you deserve this. You've worked hard enough. You owe it to yourself, man. Life's hard. I think God would be okay. If you, if you did this, you just look out for you. I promise you what this word offers you is so much. It's so much greater than what the world offers you. What the world offers you is pitiful in comparison to it. So don't settle for it. Don't settle See, the true hallmarks of of a genuine child of God is that we love others and we love holiness before God. Loving others and loving holiness. And that's what true religion is. So as we close here, I feel like we should close every sermon in the book of James with this caveat that how do you 
with all this doing that James is, is asking or telling that we must do, how do we avoid legalism in the book of James? I believe, and this is one of the easiest passages to see how to avoid legalism because the very beginning says that God does the saving. He chose to bring us forth by the word of truth. He put his spirit in our hearts and then moved us to obedience. And so for the, the ground for obedience is found only in the work and grace of God through Christ. It's not about what I must muster up to earn God's favor, but favor has already been earned on, on our behalf through through grace or by grace through faith in Christ. But the one question I have for us as we respond to God's word is have you humbly received the implanted word of God? Because if you haven't, if you haven't received the word of God humbly, then I would plead with you to look into the law of liberty. Look into the grace and mercy of Jesus. See your Savior, see your sin, and see that he has paid for all of it and run to him. Because the world and all of its offerings will never satisfy. But if you have received the implanted word, if it is in you and you continue to desire it, keep receiving it. Keep enjoying the blessings of Christ. And may it keep you unstained from the world. May we look less and less like the world as we continue to cling to the implanted word of God. And may we continue to care for orphans and widows and the oppressed as we cling to and receive the implanted word. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for implanting it in us and calling us to receive it. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us on our own, God, but you chose to bring us forth by the word of truth, that you chose to give us your spirit, God. You chose to bring Christ into the world to take upon our sins, our rebellion against you, God, that we may have life in him. And so Lord, may we as a, as God's people, may we receive the implanted word today and tomorrow and the next day, God, and may it move us to honor you with our lives. May it move us to honor Christ with our lives as we obey your word. We love you and we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.